Well, guys, welcome to our Sunday Sangha. It's 4 p.m. Thai time here. I suppose it's about 11 your time. So Marcus and I have the afternoon off and you guys have got the morning off. <laughs> Boys, this afternoon off. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, David, you were asking about verbal sankaras. Now, the word actually appears as that in uh, the suttas. Uh, and that uh, it, it actually has a reference to the other kinds of sankaras. There are bodily sankaras, verbal sankaras. And then in the Pali, there is sita sankaras, which is translated into English as mental sankaras. But Marcus, you might be interested to note that in the Thai translations right there, it translated the Sita Sankaras as Jai. Mm, yeah, okay. Okay, what that means is, is that it's not a very good translation. This Sita or Chitta is not so much that we need to, let us say, reform uh, the the ability to think or the mind itself, but that what needs to be uh, worked on is the relationship between the feelings and uh, the, the verbal or the talking to ourselves that we do. And so we can begin to understand that here the verbal sankaras is what you and I would in the English language think of as discursive thought discursive thought in the sense that we actually use language. Now, a real thought process can be much faster than that. We can have mental images, and then it takes a long time to describe that mental image. Or uh, uh, the idea is, is that um, a picture is worth a thousand words. Why do we have to spend a thousand words when we could just look at the picture. Okay, so we do have mental sankaras in the sense of pictures, and in some cases we could say that that's bound up with the verbal sankara, but the more important point to work, uh, let us say, look at is, is that the verbal sankaras are the stories we tell ourselves. And the seat to sankaras is the feelings that we have for these san, uh, uh, verbal sankaras. Okay, so to repeat again, because Robert just came on, the verbal sankaras are the stories that we tell ourselves. And the reason that they're sankaras is because we keep telling ourselves the same stories over and over and over again. And so that's the verbal sankara which is a different then from the citta sankara or the chitta sankara is the way that we respond in the sense of feelings as opposed to a lot of people think and then would get confused between well what's the verbal sankara versus a mental sankara 
The answer to that is, is that the mental sankaras that you are talking about there is actually a, 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 um, a deeper feeling kind of thing. You could think of it as more as the child or the reptilian brain as opposed to the uh, verbal sankaras is coming from the mid-cortex and is referred to as the parent or all of our learned behavior. And so, in a way, there is a connection between the verbal sankaras and sila bhatta paramasa, which is attachments to rites, rules, and rituals, because rites, rules, and rituals are almost always verbal. An example of that is even a picture. If you see a picture of a cigarette with a great big red circle and a bar in red through it, then the then the thought process is is that no smoking but we almost always have the verbal no smoking rather than just see the cigarette with the circle and the line through it which is really what's there and so we begin to then tell ourselves stories about what we see and these are the verbal sankaras, the building up of stuff that we've seen before and the stories that we told ourselves about it before. We can also then say that what these stories are mostly is what's supposed to be. Like example of the one that I used in, uh, in Thai, by the way, it's going to be Ham Madai Bari, right? The sign that says Ham Madai for cigarettes. So uh, that don't is a rule. No smoking, don't smoke, right? That's the rule that we tell ourselves, which is completely different than the reaction that you have when someone blows their tobacco smoke in your face. There you have a completely different reaction to it, which is a reaction of smell and disgust and hard to breathe, and that kind of reaction. But then the verbal sankaras that actually come up after that is don't blow smoke in my face. So now we can begin to see these various parts of the mind as verbal, mental, or, or uh, emotional sankaras. And this verbal sankara stuff is actually quite dangerous because we literally talk ourselves into feeling bad. Rather, if we didn't talk at all, we could feel good. So we go around making a whole lot of rules. Our society is built upon a set of rules, a vast set of rules, from very minor rules and some rules most people don't know about, but a few people know about those rules. And so they will either follow them themselves or want you to follow them also. And then there are some rules that everybody kind of understands. And, and the way that we have to look at it, though, is, is that when a child is born, he is born kind of as a blank slate, and the parents are going to write all the rules on that blank slate. And that then becomes the verbal sankara, is all of the junk that we've got written on our, our blank slate in the form of language. 
Now there's another language that we use and that language is much more visual language and that would be the language of mathematics. And that many people can just look at a formula and understand the formula, but never have to talk themselves about it. And yet other people can't even add two one digit numbers together without verbalizing the names of the digits and saying four plus three equals seven. Or another verbalization would be the multiplication tables. Did you learn the multiplication tables when you were in, in school? That's verbally learned. But another way of doing it would be doing it by teaching the children about boxes. And you have, you know, uh, boxes in a four by six row. Did you, you understand that is a kind of a number, but you do it visually. So we can learn mathematics either uh, visually or we can learn it verbally. But our normal language, like the English language, is done verbally. So here's a way of, of looking at it also is reading. If when you're reading, you let the eyes get the word directly, or do you have to say the word? Because if you have to say the word in your mind, that's a very slow reading. And the best you'll be able to do is about 200 words a minute because you have to tell yourself what you're reading rather than reading it directly. That's the verbal Sankara. Can you read directly and get that verbal image off the screen into the mind without having to say it as a word? We also do that with numbers sometimes, like visualizing uh, numbers. If I visualize a number, I can uh, learn it. So if you write that number down for me, I've got it. If somebody tells me a telephone number in a sequence of events, like one number after another, sorry guys, I can't get it. So think about like that for yourself. Which one are you? Are you the kind of guy that wants to get a phone number by seeing it written down? Or do you want to get the telephone number by somebody repeating the digits off to you? Because you're using two different parts of the mind to do that. And one of them is extra burden. And that is the verbal. The verbal is the one that's to, that takes so many mind moments to where visualizations can be really quick, really fast. So now that we know that, then we can put that into place in the sense of uh, the way that we deal with this stuff in Anapanasati. And that is, is that can you begin to see that you often have to talk to yourself about what you're doing. A clear example of that was back in the 1930s and 40s when all the sports was done on radio, there was no visualization. They didn't have television cameras or any kind of cameras at all. And so when the sports would be on the air, they would have a commentator. And that commentator would give a blow by blow description of what's happening in the boxing ring or on the uh, the field of play or whatever. Now, the thing about boxers is that they can hit a whole lot faster than the uh, announcer can announce. And so he's not going to be able to give you a blow by blow. He can't do it. We can't do that with language. Another way of looking at it is, is that we use language to construct mental images. 
And by constructing a mental image, that means that we're taking something that could be real and be seen and turning it into a concept, a mental construction. And so verbalizations or verbal sankaras, in, in fact, there is no video sankara. There is only sound sankaras. Why did the Buddha leave out visual sankaras? The answer is that is that's not the issue. The issue is the verbal sankaras. And so uh, when we're beginning to practice Anapanasati, the first thing that we have to do is to recognize these verbal sankaras and start changing them from unwholesome verbal sankaras into wholesome verbal sankaras. But as we speed up the process, sometimes our new verbal sankara that's wholesome it's not really verbal much at all. It's just doing it. I mean, I can just have like one word of gladdening and I don't even have to finish it. I just feel good. Okay. Another one is, is that when we remember to take the breath, you don't have to tell yourself with a verbal sankara to take a breath. You just take a breath. So this is when we're beginning to speed up is when we can begin to bypass these verbal sankaras or the the blow by blow description and go directly to the visual imagery or the actuality of the move without having to have a blow by blow description or tell ourselves a story about what we're doing or if you are doing that in fact that's uh, uh we can use those verbal sankaras as uh in a wholesome way by using them as a checklist in the sense of if you were doing something complicated like putting a computer together then you want to go back and make sure that the connectors are correct and to make sure that the power is correct and to make sure that the drive is sitting in a stable place and when it powers up you don't want it falling over that kind of stuff and so we can actually go through a checklist of the things that we're doing to make sure that we're doing it correctly which is a different way of doing in the sense that we're just out doing stuff and giving ourselves a blow-by-blow -blow description of what we're doing so this is this is something that's kind of subtle in the mind, but you can begin to check this out. Look for this. Begin to notice when you're doing verbal sankaras. So basically what that means is the verbal sankara is that part that when we go for um, in Paticca Samapada, going past the sankara level and going into the actual sequence of events, that we see something and then we process it the processing itself may or may not include verbal sankaras when we get then the result of that do those also have or have not verbal sankaras now let me give you what i mean by that and i just tricked you. okay so we could use the word seeing twice and have two different ways of seeing. One is I see it. I see the tree. But when I tell you I see a tree, you get a mental image, and I guarantee you that the mental image of a tree that you get is not the tree that I'm looking at because I'm looking at a fan palm, and you probably have never seen one. 
but I do that to point out that when I use a language and use um, a, a construction, a concept, like I see a tree, that does not convey the image that I do actually see, that we're actually, by describing it, we're destroying it. Okay, so there's another kind of scene, and that's the one to get to, and that is, I see what you mean. That's a different way of looking at the word. And so begin to recognize that when we use words like looking and seeing, it may be different. We can, we can use the words in different ways, but we get really sloppy. But the way that we can understand is, is that now we can use the word consciousness and see that there are two kinds of consciousness. One is the kind of consciousness that is the input of the data. Like you're asleep and you've got no input and then somebody throws water on your face and immediately you become conscious of cold and wet. I mean, how many thought moments does it would it take you to recognize that you've just woken up because somebody threw a bucket of water in your face? Can't imagine how, many. how much language do you have to say? How much uh, description of it? Or can you experience it directly? That's when you experience it directly, the actual splashing the water on the face and the knowing of that is one kind of consciousness. That's the one that the Buddha is talking about is Vinaya. The other kind of consciousness, I see what you mean, is when we've told our story about getting splashed in the face with water and who did that and why did they do it and what's the deal here and all of that kind of stuff is now a different kind of consciousness. This is the consciousness in Nepali is referred to as uh, uh, Sale Atana. Now, the word atana actually means the senses. We have six atana, the, the senses, but we then have that internal representation of those senses that is then called the salayatana, which is the second kind of consciousness. So we have consciousness of input data, and then we have consciousness of the recognition of that input data. One of them absolutely has no verbal sankaras with it. And that is just getting splashed on the face. But hey, what's the deal? And why did you do that? And all of that kind of stuff is verbal sankara that's associated with the second kind of consciousness. This is all quite valuable in our practice of Adapanasati. It's really valuable to recognize whether we're actually literally talking ourselves into feeling bad, talking ourselves into feeling good, or going straight to the good feeling because we remember that we can feel good. We don't have to talk ourselves into it so much. So that gladdening of the mind now is a much shorter mind moment. It's so fast that, in, in fact, it doesn't even have time to talk about it. The same thing is with the breath. You can remember the breath, but you don't have to remind yourself, oh, it's time to breathe, or why don't we take a deep breath or something like that would be a bunch of verbal sankara. 
when in fact the reality is is that while we're trying to talk ourselves into taking a breath we're generally not breathing yet the question is can you go ahead and start breathing whether you're talking yourself into taking the next breath or not because the talking ourselves into taking the next breath is actually extra work that we don't really have to do we do not have to give ourselves a blow-by-blow -blow description because when we're paying attention to the blow-by-blow -blow description we're often missing new input and so giving ourselves that blow-by-blow -blow description then is the processing that we do that's often superfluous and not only that but it allows us to have doubts rather than being able to just look and look and look and see and experience over and over again. Ah, welcome back, DJ. Oh, yeah, yeah it disconnected. Robert, I see you waving. Hi, hi there. Yeah, and um, meditation is all about um, not doing work, isn't it? It's about how do we minimize the effort to feel ah, happy? How do we, how do we learning feel how to be lazy effort? and lazier and lazier and lazier? It's all about stopping this and then stopping that and then stopping that other thing and then stopping this. <laughs> right. Fun fact. I think I think doesn't Kama also come from work? Like a translation. Ah, that's of it, the right? doing, right. And mm. the teaching of the Buddha is was that he teaches four kinds of karma, and the fourth kind of karma brings the end of karma. The action that brings the end of action. So stop. That's in fact one of the students uh we had a, a talk and I, I put it like this that finally we have a one word description of the entire teachings of the Buddha. The Buddha got it down to three. Bob Marley gets it in four. Don't worry, be happy. But we could do it in just one word, and that goes back to the Angulimala Sutta when the Angulimala says, stop, monk, and the Buddha says, I have stopped. You stop too. And that's the entire teaching of the Buddha right there. Stop. How lazy can you be? <laughs> Just stop. What are we dropping? We're stopping. The first thing we learn to stop is the unwholesome qualities of that verbal uh, sankara. The next one that we learn is to stop the verbal speaking altogether and just experience. So, Changing it from unwholesome to wholesome is the first step, and that's the first jhana. The second jhana, then, is just stop the verbal dialogue altogether and just experience what is. And in this state, by the time that we've gotten to the point that we could just stop thinking about what we're doing and start looking at what we're doing, we're already in a really, really good state, and the only thing to look at now is how good things are. This is the second jhana of why we pay attention to pity. Pity is the number one item on the list of the second jhana. But in fact, that defines the second jhana is when you're actually experiencing how good you feel as opposed to in the first jhana, talking yourself into feeling that way. 
And when you actually feel that way, and it could be for just a half a second, then you're no longer telling yourself how good you feel and actually experience, oh, this really is nice. But that wow really is nice is a secondary thought. The actual experience I can't give you in words because it's wordless. It's just experience of how good we feel. It's like the uh, football player when he makes that touchdown. He doesn't go around telling, oh, I feel so good because I made that touchdown. No, what he does is he goes in with hands in the air and he gives himself a physical, sensational experience. A war dance. A victory dance. Okay, that's the second jhana is a victory dance. And it's got no words to it. It's just the experience of how good we feel. So in uh, several of the suttas, including 119, they give a description of these things in metaphor terms. So the first jhana is uh, given the description of sprinkling water on bath powder. Now, my grandmother made biscuits, and so I used the examples of biscuits. So she'd put a bunch of flour out on the table and then dip her fingers in a bowl of water and spread the water around the flour like that until it became dough. But you have to be very careful to not put way too much water on the dough, just enough, and then knead it so that there is no place left in the dough where it's got dry ridges of flour or whatever. You, you press it in so that it becomes a solid ball. That's the first jhana. And the danger then is just doing too much talking, putting too much water on, or putting too much joy or, or conversational joy in, and just put just enough to get things no longer dry, no longer powder, no longer uh, blowing away, but everything is cohesive, that you put the mind together. It's no longer a powdery mind of this, that, and the other thing. It's just a unit. Now that we have that ball of flour together that's all wet and moist and juicy, if the juicy is the joy, you do have to put water in, but not uh, with too much language. Because what we're actually doing is that we're training ourselves to use less language to feel more joy until we, by the time that we enter the second jhana, there's nothing left to say and all good feelings to experience. Hello, Drew. Welcome aboard. Hello. So the analogy then for the second jhana is um, a spring that has a dam built around it so as to form a pond. Now, when I say spring, I'm talking about an artesian well. It's the kind of spring where water just comes right out of the ground. Sometimes it gushes out of the ground. Sometimes it leaks. I've been around several different springs, uh, and they almost always happen at the bottom of the hill. But then beside the hill around it allows the farmer to come make a mud boundary around the spring and form a pond. And now the teenagers come in their shorts ready to go swimming. Okay, so this is the scene. The top of the pond is now warm. 
because it's been sitting in the sun, but it is constantly being fed in the bottom by this cool spring water that's coming out of the mountain. And it can bubble and, well, not really bubble because there's no air in it, but it is a turmoil mixture of hot and cold water with the cold water rushing up. And the swimmer swims down to this thing and gets into that turbulence. And it just feels so good. I mean, you're out of control and you're in this water and everything like that. And the waters keep trying to push you back up to the surface. But we would like to stay in that cool spring water. Okay, so this is the analogy that the Buddha has for the pity is that it begins to gush. It begins to rush. It begins to feel really, really good and solid while at the same time being just all over the place. So what that means is in reality is, is that we have come to the point, David, of stopping the verbal sankaras, whether they are wholesome or unwholesome, stop that formulation of the mind and just experience how good we feel, how marvelous things are right now. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's um like the the verbal sankaras can still be that wholesome sort of discursive thought. Like we kind of throw those in the mix first. They sort of start to actually put an end to the verbal sankaras altogether because you start mm -hmm. to have these wholesome thoughts, but then there can be more gaps in it and just right. sort of letting that go even. Yeah. Okay, so the there are several ways of looking at this. One of them is, is that what we're going to do is we're going to shorten the amount of talking that we have to do to talk ourselves into feeling good. That once we mm -hmm. begin to talk ourselves into feeling good, we don't have to talk so much. We just remember to feel good, and then we begin to feel good without yeah. going through that long description that you've heard me give of yeah. no place to go and no place to go mm -hmm. and nothing to yeah. do and everything is okay like this, you know. Well, that's actually a lot of work. It's the fun yeah. work, but it's a lot of work. Sometimes we mm -hmm. could just say, <sighs> Yeah. Yeah, you don't need to go into a long description of, oh, this breath is so nice oh, and all. Right. Yeah, you, you now just... it is so nice. And so now we yeah. can do direct experience of how breath is so nice. And so I that's something up with the jhana scale. Yes, Marcus. Um, well, in, uh, I think, North East Thailand, um, they do the, the, the bud on the in-breath, the ho on the out, or the do on the out-breath. And but <laughs> when that falls away, yeah, when that falls away, ahead. that's the second jhana, because that's when the um, verbal sankharas uh, stop. Yeah, exactly so. In fact, that's the use of the mantras, if you know how to use them, is, is that the mantras become the substitute for the verbal sankaras. And what that means also is, is that the ordinary mind, the sankara, the verbal sankaras are just all over the place. And what we do is we build a corral so that the sankaras now can't go all over the place. They have to stay within the boundaries of the wholesome. And then we start moving the boundaries closer to go, like think of it as a, a pasture or a field, and then a pasture, 
and then a corral, and then a stall. Well, that's what we're trying to do anyway, is we're trying to stall the mine, so why don't we put it into a stall? In other words, the boundaries are very, very close together. This is exactly what the chanting is for, for the monks. They always chant before they uh, sit for Anapanasati. Why did they do that? Is because the thinking that needed to do the chanting puts the mind in that gear. Okay, and so we can do something like uh, just uh, one of those phrases would be done over and over and over again. I think a couple of years ago, I did about five minutes of that one phrase, which can be said over and over again. And by the way, if you're thinking about it and doing this, you can't think, you don't have much time for any other verbal sankaras. Okay, so we can do a fairly long one. Right? And I've got several that I'll give you. One is, Itipiso bhagava eraha samma sambuto icha charana sampano lo gabidu anuttaro purisatam sadeva manusanambuto bhagavati. Then you do that again. It only takes about a minute, a little less than a minute. Then we can do others. In fact, there's a funeral chant that's good. That some monks will just sit and do this over and over again. Anicca vata sankara upatavaya domino upajetuva nerujante tesa vupasano sukho. Sukho, it starts with anicca vata sankara. Everything is in turmoil and we wind up in sukho, in peace. Okay, so we say that again. Anicca vata sankara upatavaya domino upajetuva nerujante tesa vupasano sukho. We can do all of that in one breath, or we can divide it up. So, going for a little bit deeper, shorter corral would be getting it down to mantra range. Om Namah Shivaya would be one. That's Om to Shiva, the name of Shiva. Or one could be done that's, that's common in India but it doesn't have quite the use. And that is one word, just one word over and over and over again, like Ram, 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 because that can be easily distracted. Mm -hmm. But uh, in Thailand, we use the word Budo, like the Buddha, Bu on the in-breath and Do on the out-breath. Can you keep a Bu for your entire length of the in-breath and then can you keep a dough for the entire length of the outbreath, or is that discursive thought going to start back up again? Can you do boo dough? Back and forth. You get the mind very, very subtle. We're getting it almost to the point of stopping that dialogue. So we could also do that with the same little gladdening thoughts that we do in English language. There's nothing magical about Polly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we can say something like, everything's all right. Mm -hmm. Everything's okay. Everything is all right. And so we just do those little words over and over again. Everything's okay. Yeah. 
Everything's all right. Everything's okay. Everything's all right. At the end of that out breath, we wait a little while and start putting some gaps before the next in breath. So going back to the example of Budo, boo on the in breath and do on the out breath. And at the end of the out breath, we wait. One, two, five, ten seconds. And when the mind starts back, oh, excuse me, when the breathing starts back up, that's when you let the thought come back again, boo. So you can begin to play with that, Robert. This is something that you're about ready for now, is to come in there and start putting, making sure that you've only got a boo on that in-breath and you've only got a doe on that out-breath. And when you put the gap between the out-breath and the next in-breath, you can have second jhana. There it is. Experience it. Just be empty for a moment. Stop thinking. So there actually not only are these things jhanas that are mystical and magical and quite difficult to understand, but something that people in the West really, really want and got to have. Now we can see that, well, in Buddhism, it, there's just a procedure for it. We've got methods here, <laughs> the Eightfold Noble Method, and it uses the breathing. And we use the breathing to stop the mind by stopping the breath. But we've got to have a lot of breathing going on in the sense of long, slow, deep in and out breaths and keep the body energized so that on that out breath, we can go for five or 10 or 15 or 20 seconds with nothing going on except the experience of nothing's happening. Now, basically what happens with students, almost everyone, I've talked to other students and it certainly happened to me that when we get our mind to the point that we could stop it and then we recognize that it stopped, the first thing that happens is a yippee ki okay and the best thing we can do is go back into first John, but more than likely we're just hopping all over mm. the place because we've finally gotten something, we've attained something, and that ordinary mind just pops right back into state. And so this is also a skill to be developed, and that skill then can be referred to as the skill of coming out of the first jhana, because the, the lack of skill of coming out of the first jhana is what people are doing whenever they're in it, because where they come back to is ordinary mind. Now, they may be fairly close to the first jhana so that they could put that stuff down and come back into the first jhana. But the real skill of leaving the first jhana is this technique that Marcus has found out about. I bet I know where you found that out, too. I know because <laughs> this is a Buddha Dasa technique. <laughs> Even, uh, well, I mean, uh, no, it's actually Northeast Thailand, but it's definitely up in that uh, area uh, rather than noting. This is not noting. This is, in fact, bringing noting to a stop. We're not noting while we're there. We're, in fact, experiencing, which is different. Just allowing that state of mind to be empty of words and full of reality. And the reality is how marvelous we feel. And then the third jhana is when we recognize that how marvelous we feel is actually caught a lot of work. I mean, it, uh, going back to the analogy of being in the, the gushing spring at the bottom of the pond, 
That's a lot of work. It's energizing, sure. But we do have to take the next breath and we got to come back up to the surface and all of that kind of stuff. And so then the hallmark of the third jhana is the analogy that um, even though in a fast moving stream or in a pond, the lotus will have root and then the stem will come up. Even though there's a rushing pond and that lotus then will open Guess what? It's dry on the inside. It is not waterlogged. This is what we mean then about the sukha, the pity, the wetness of the pity kind of mellows out into a much more relaxed form of sukha. That sukha, when we're talking ourselves into it in the first jhana, really needs that icing of the of the pity but then later we because because that pity is actually more work than we need we can relax that too and so you can think of it like this is a noisy mind is not relaxed let's get an organized mind and that's more relaxing but then let's stop the thoughts that's more relaxing and just feel what's going on. But then that heavy duty feeling is uh, a lot of work. Let's relax even further down into sukha. And then we can relax that sukha down into nothing much at all, which is the fourth jhana. And now the mind is really stable. And so the analogy of the really, really stable mind of the fourth jhana is the analogy of imagining that your body is covered with a white shimmering sheet and that there is no distinction but, uh, as the outline of a human body. That in fact, the sheet is the representation that you are now merging with your surroundings, that your boundaries become faint but it also becomes shimmering, glowing. That's the sensation or the feeling. Also by then the breathing has become quite subtle. And so we no longer use the breathing as an object of meditation. And we talk, and uh, the new object of meditation then is just the experience that there's not much happening except the functioning of the mind. And so now that's what we take on as an object of meditation is the way the mind functions. And this is where we get down into the nitty gritty of the teacher Samapada of actually seeing how we process data. And that processing is called perception. Can you bring it down to the point that you know that you're only taking input and you're not processing? Just more data input and more data input and more data input, and we're just satisfied with just receiving input without trying to make it into something. This is at the most basic level of just enjoy the show. Literally can't be absolutely done unless you're in the fourth jhana. <laughs> but we can certainly have a whole lot of fun of watching the show while we still have some discourse and some thoughts and some feelings and some perception about the show. But as we get more experts, we get to the point of just watching the show. Yeah, because the opaca is like sort of um, 
beyond the um, feelings, right? The liking and disliking and the confusion. Stability, the real stability that is done when the feelings of liking, not liking and confusion are no longer being wrestled into gear. Mm -hmm. There's no longer any impact that's putting us into a state of feeling. Last time, yes, go ahead. Last time you mentioned um, that contact was a bit of a a push or a shove. Mm -hmm. And it pushes into feelings. Mm. It's the driver. What drives us? Okay. What drives, in fact, what you could say is, is that the reality of the moment collides with our, the result of our perception, our, our salyatana. That when we create something in the mind, that's what affects us, not the actual thing that existed, that we saw, felt, touched, tasted, experienced in sensations. Right? That's what we feel, is we feel about what we've done with the actual input. And this is an, uh, uh, an important quality for the meditator to begin to recognize that there's a distinction between the actual input and what we make of it. Because it's what we make of it, the salayatana, that actually impacts us, not the actual real thing. In other words, if mom comes into the, wor- into the room with a, uh, physically a scowl on her face and her right hand held up in the air like that, the child becomes afraid, where in fact there's nothing to be afraid of until the child thinks that her mom is going to hit her because that hand is in the air. But the mom did not think anything. That hand just came up automatically. She saw the kid and that arm came up and then the child feels bad because the child has to go through the thought process of what does that mean, that hand coming up in the air. So a lot of this stuff happens really fast. It takes me five minutes to say something that happens (laughs) third of a second. Because we have to talk about it in conceptual language. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the very thing that I'm doing right now, I'm also recommending don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't talk to yourself about your experience because you're going to miss a whole lot of your experience while you're talking to yourself about it. It's better just to have the direct experience. Which means we have to first off get the the words into a wholesome state, which is basically the training. We have mm-hmm. to train the mind, and the way that we train it is something that the mind can do. And that first thing is to train it out of unwholesome thoughts. And by the way, that's quite tricky. Mm-hmm. That's tricky to do is to train the mind to get it into the wholesome. But once we do, now we're actually training the mind and we can bring it to these next things of reducing the size of the corral and getting the mind down to where it can only do so much. A lot of people think that, oh, I can go straight from hindrances where the pony of the mind is galloping all over the pasture and I'm going to get that pony to stop by just saying stop. Not a mm-hmm. chance. You're going to have to put that pony in that stall in order to get that pony to stall. 
Okay, and so that's the job of the mantra. That's yeah. the final stall. Two words, two syllables. Boo, do. But there's others. In fact, you could go in so far as to have words that are not really words in our language, like. <sighs> you didn't even have to use the word. It's just the breath itself was vocalization. So on the start beginning to note what you're doing at the end of the out breath before you take an in breath. Mindful of that out breath as it comes to an end. And then you breathe in again and the mind starts back up. It's funny how the mind is associated with the breathing like that. And you can help stop the mind by bringing the breath to a close. But you have to get the breathing going with that budo first. You have to get the mind in gear, boo on the in-breath, do on the out-breath, and then you don't take another in-breath and the mind doesn't start up again. It's a bit of practice, but that's yeah. the way it's done. And they've known about this for centuries in Thailand. But it's not a Western technique that's well known. Budo. I would say half the people in Thailand know about that technique, but very few of them actually practice it. Yeah, it's quite useful because it's it's so simple, right? Everything. I mean, how if yeah. if the if the destination is to stop and to do nothing, how simple can we make that? <laughs> because if we have a a complicated method for stopping, there's no end to the, <laughs> the complication. Yeah. <laughs> really, guys, there's nothing to it. <laughs> Just stop. And so this is how we do that with the mind, is we could just stop the mind. At least in the sense of stopping this discursive thought or this verbal sankara. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But again, you want to sort of build up that first jhana first um, in terms of having that wholesome discursive thought, right? And so we fall back into that rather than just out of it altogether, because like one of the pitfalls potentially could be, oh, yes, you get into the second one or it moves towards that. You kind of stop that discursive thought, go like, woohoo, but then start, you know, being like, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. And it goes into ordinary sort of, oh, you know, thought rather than. Okay, woohoo. And then you just go with the woohoo and then that stops again, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You let that one woohoo just be back to first jhana, but now we're going to relax that too and get back into just the experience of our uh sensations of the body and uh the feeling good that we've talked ourselves into. Yeah. And enjoy. That's the quality, just enjoy, just watch the show. And as we watch the show, we become more quiet. 
and the show becomes more spectacular because we're, we're, we're watching now. We can see uh, that that's in fact another way of talking about the fourth jhana is, is that when we're no longer processing the data, we can, we can take in a whole lot of data. In, in other words, if a program uh, is written to read the hard drive, but it doesn't take the time to write that data so that we don't have the read, write, read, write, read, write. We just read, 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 read. If we keep that data in memory, we're going to run out of memory. But here, we're not trying to process the data. And that's what computers are all about, is processing data. Why do computers process data? Because the computers were made by people who were processing their data. Now we're going to be taking data without bothering to either store it or process it. We're just taking in data. That's the way of looking at it. It's just the more, um, or the, a, a better way of saying it is the less we process the more data we can input. When we process data, we're not, we miss time in taking mm -hmm. in, but we're not really watching what's going on when we're thinking about what we just saw, mm -hmm. we're missing the next one. So, Robert, here's another way of thinking about it. When you are looking at that um, screen that's measuring reaction time instead of anticipating it just wait relaxed until the screen turns green and then click the mouse that's all you have to do and that's the way to get it fast in other words you deal with the reaction to the event that happened rather than anticipating the event because while we're anticipating the event, we're going to miss the event when it does happen. In other words, I'm I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And you see that with with slap hands. You know the game where the kids got one hand on the bottom, and the and uh, the other kid has his hands on the top. And my job is to take the hands on the bottom and hit that guy's hand on the top before he can move it. It's similar to the game of taking a, a dollar bill and folding it. And then have the guy hold it like this while you let go of the bill. Can he catch it while it's falling through the air? Is his reaction time good enough? But he, but if he tries to catch it before it hits, he's going to miss it. Or if he's so slow that he's going to miss it after. The question is, is can you... Um, going back to the slap hands, one of the techniques then is to try to fool the other guy by if I'm going to slap this hand with this one, I will wiggle this hand to get him jumpy. And so he'll then have the thought all false start and that's when I hit him. We see that done in chess and other places like that. That you can actually get someone's mind to move and then you strike. This is done in martial arts in all kinds of places. Is it, it's a distraction, okay? Um, uh, we see that in warfare a lot, that they go and bomb this place, and then all the people come 
to take care of the bomb, and that's when the real bomb goes off. The big bomb goes off uh, because it's collected people around it because of the little bomb. If those people were smart enough, they would say, hey, there's a bomb there. Let's not go there. <laughs> but no, we want to know what happens. We want to go uh, investigate or to get into it. And this is why those kinds of bombs are so deadly. Those one, two punches. So we do that with ourselves inside of our own mind. When you're anticipating that red screen turning to blue so that you can click the mouse, that's going to slow you down. The right thing to do is just to gaze at the screen, and when you see it change, click the mouse. But you got to come out of that discursive thought. And in fact, that if you're, uh, let us say, if you can manage down when you're fast, down to 200 milliseconds, but your average time is 250 milliseconds, start looking at what are you doing in that two, that 50 millisecond period of time because a lot of stuff happens in 50 milliseconds. What are you doing while that mount, while you're waiting for the mouse, to, uh, for the screen to change so that you can click the mouse in that reaction time study? If you're completely open and just looking at the screen, then all you have to do is click the mouse when you see it change. But if you're thinking about it, oh, I want to have a fast reaction time. Oh, I got, I'm going to be there. and I'm going to watch this. Those are the kinds of thoughts that cause you to miss. So and that's another way of looking at it. What we desire prevents us from getting what we want. Is our desire and thinking about things rather than just paying attention to what's going on. Does that help you go try that and see if you can get that reaction time a little faster. And by the way, I'm not against 250 milliseconds. Most people start off with 300. <laughs> they waste a whole mind moment from the time the screen returns from red to green. A whole mind moment they spend before they can click the, the thing. And so standard and children, 400, 500 milliseconds, very slow. But people who can, they're, they're, this happened. I saw this on YouTube and it was a, it was a collage of things that had happened on Saturday Night Live. And that the situation is that they would have a guest sitting in the normal conversational mode like you see and during the conversation someone from the side would throw a great big plastic fish at the uh, uh, new guest and they showed time after time especially women would get hit flat in the face with that fish they just simply weren't watching and then they would have a football or like a Heisman Trophy winner and they put him on and they threw that fish at him from the side and he just grabbed it out of the air with his right hand without even looking because he was present. And so that's that's the reaction time right there. Can if if somebody throws you a ball in Thailand, by the way, it's uh, a social foopaw to throw things at people. So if you throw a ball to a Thai person, he's just going to stand there, get hit with it, 
and then wonder and ask you, why did you throw it to him? The tight end, you've got to stand up and walk across the room and, and, get, and hand him the keys. But in the U.S., it's partly, I think, because we've done baseball, is, is that we're used to being able to catch things on the fly, that I've got the dogs, that if the dogs are watching and paying attention, then if I throw food at them, they can make a maneuver to catch that food. Sometimes it's quite spectacular how fast the dog is. But if the dog is hunting for the food that I just threw to him on the floor, he's not watching, he's not going to see that food. Pumpuhi is even smarter because she wants to check out that food that's in the air to see whether or not she wants to get it or not. And sometimes she'll just... <laughs> not a thing. And other times, she'll... I'll take it. And so these are all examples of physical reaction times with the body, but it's a body mind or the, actually the eyes are wired almost directly into the body. How is it like the samurai can, you know, the, uh, or the, the samurai goes to the baseball field, but let's start with the guys who were having those baseball bats and he's standing there with that bat and he's waiting for the wind up and the pitch. Now that the pitch has been thrown, he's got to check the trajectory. Where is that ball going to land in this in this uh, uh, batter's field? But the samurai doesn't actually, with his sword, he doesn't actually hit the ball with the bat. He's going to slice that ball in half, but there's even going to be one other step, and that is that he's going to stand there with the sword still in his scabbard and the pitch is thrown. And then he's going to pull out the sword and whack that thing. That's amazing that they have that kind of reaction time. I, I wonder what that samurai can do with that uh, ball clicking. Can he get it down to, uh, 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 excuse me, mouse clicking on the screen? I bet that he could do it probably at 180, maybe 175. If he's really, really good, 150, but I doubt that he could do anything more than that because that means that his mind is really fast. So most people think slow. So when we say, what is a mind moment? Well, it depends upon the mind moment because a mind moment can be a tenth of a second, can be a fifth of a second. For some people, they're really slow. I mean, you've seen people that just, they're looking for a word and their mind just goes blank. And that's a blank mind moment. Nothing comes. And that blank moment, mind moment can last a couple of seconds. So some mind moments are slow. Others are very fast. And we're actually practicing a technique of speeding things up. Can we catch it? Can we catch it fast enough? And these are the skills that we're, that we're uh, working with to get that. And you say, well, how can slowing the breathing down and having just one word, Budo, speed things up for us? The answer to that is, is that that discursive thought takes a whole lot of mind moments that prevent us from dealing with reality, that we've got to talk ourselves through what we're doing. And when we stop talking to ourselves about what we're doing, we can respond much faster. And so um, 
musicians train that way. They start with a passage slow. Then they speed it up and they speed it up and they speed it up until it actually becomes muscle memory so that they could play that passage with the fingers without having to think about each note that you're going to play. If the musician has to think about every note that he's going to play, I don't think that that's going to be very beautiful music. But you still got to do it. And the way that we do that is get by getting these these things uh, to the point that we're there at every moment. And we could do that with muscle memory rather than this verbal memory. If we do it with the verbal sand car, it's so slow. But if we do it with the muscle memory with, and connect the eye directly to the body, that's where these guys get to speed in the samurai or the, the, the baseball batter who can uh, hit a baseball with a bat. This, that, that baseball is flying at 90 miles an hour. They do that kind of training also with um, uh, <clears throat> tennis to where they actually have a ball machine and they speed those balls up. Not only speeding the speed of the ball, but the frequency of the balls to speed it up. So they begin to react faster. If that tennis player is thinking about her uh, dead or sick grandmother, she's going to miss all of those balls. She's got to be right there and watch what's going on and connected eye, eye uh, hand coordination. But if we put discursive thought between the eye hand coordination, we're slow. Funny how training in martial arts and training in music or even training in Formula One uh, racing and meditation is actually the same skill. Is getting the discursive verbal thinking mind out of the way. So that we can directly connect. So, Robert, what do you think? Not thinking at all. That's good. How about you, Carl? What do you think? <laughs> well, I can think a lot of it, but there's nothing to it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Thank you, Marcus, for talking about Budo. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Because that gives a, a, a slightly different frame of reference. Because I could talk about it and no Damarato is just off on his thing. But in fact, no, this is this is very Thai. Getting the mind to stop by using just a short phrase, a mantra. Oh, yeah, I don't think. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, but you don't have to use a poly mantra. You can use anything so long as you begin to shorten it so as we can um, corral and install the mind. The discursive thinking mind. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, Robert, I think your microphone is muted or something, because when you were talking before, I didn't hear anything. 
it didn't say muted, but it. Yeah. I like I I saw lips moving, but I didn't hear anything. No, don't Thanks. hear anything. No. Oh, there okay, we go. Now I, yeah, now I can hear you. All okay. right. So having some trouble with the audio interface. My, my audio was cussing out as well for the. Let's get the web fixed. Marcus, turn now your it's mic me. On. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like your new colors, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 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 It's that's right. That, that's a couple of days ago. Yes, you've got all new colors in your background. Yeah, I got a lot of blues and pinks and that sort of stuff. Very calming colors, I find. Relaxing to look at. Well, guys, this has been a really interesting talk. I've enjoyed this a lot. We put several things together in the sense of how reaction time and jhanas and discursive thought and all of that stuff fits in together. So this is actually it's all making a, sense. It's all coming it? together. Yeah, it's all coming together. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Got anybody got any last things to say? Any goodbyes or whatever? Um, no, I think I think that was a great conversation. Yeah, um, um, thanks. Thanks, everybody. Mm. Yes, David, thank you for your question. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. You're welcome. You yeah. didn't know there was that much to it, huh? <laughs> well, good, there's not. There's, there's nothing no. to it. But it takes me an hour to talk about how there's nothing to it. <laughs> Conceptualized talking. Okay, guys, well, thanks right. a lot. Carl, good to see you again. Yes. This was nice. Thanks, Thank everybody. Drew, where Ciao, are you? <laughs> He's going to I'm listening. I've been listening the whole time with a few, minute, uh, few words missed here and there. All right. Well, glad to talk with you. I hope to see you soon. Yeah, no, I'm about to go on retreat next week, so I'll definitely give you a call um, during the week. Okay. That would be great. Yeah, thank you. Okay, guys. Thank you awesome. so much. I very much yeah. appreciate it. Oh, yeah. What kind of retreat are you going to go on? Let's talk about that for just a minute. <laughs> oh, you're not going to like this. Um, but it's a, a Mahasi retreat um, in two <laughs> weeks' time, for about two weeks. Well, nice. it's not a matter of whether I like it or not. It's a matter of will you like it or not. <laughs> I, I love it. I've been you... there before. I really enjoy it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, just yes. nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to be, yeah. no one to see. That's right. Every... That's what yeah. retreats are supposedly for, but people get really busy in those streets trying to get some entertainment <laughs> and just go and enjoy. Yeah, I, um, yeah. I mean, the thing I want to talk to you about um, is just simply that my last three or four weeks, um, uh, have been quite hectic and busy, so I want to just take this week to calm the mind down so that when I go into retreat, I'm not bringing everything that my mind currently has into it and try and get my practice back into rhythm, so to speak, because it's been All disrupted. Right. So that's well, the there, thing I want to talk about. 
we can give you a very uh, repetitive uh, settling mantra. I mean, that's the only thing I have to time for these days um, sometimes, which is just <sighs> right next thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was right. gonna say, oh sorry, with, yeah, with the Mahasi, I think they tend to use like the rising, falling, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, yeah that's much. not universal, but that is. Possible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. On the on the one I used to go to, they encouraged everyone to do it three times. Rising, 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 falling, falling. Actually, <laughs> actually, actually, not with the breathing, but especially with the walking, like um, walking, 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 turning, turning, turning. And, yeah. I mean, that's for I would just very, very more. raw beginners. Yeah, yeah. Because their mind is so much in turmoil, and so just stating one thing three times is has a, a settling. That's what the repetition is all about. People don't understand how valuable repetition is. Over and over and over and over. The Westerner says, over. Okay, I've done it one time. What's next? <laughs> I guess they find it boring. I've actually had this friend, a question from a friend. It's like, do you not find meditation boring? I'm like, no, because I'm paying attention. And they just don't have the understanding or the concept of how the more you pay attention, the less boring mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. Make a game out of it, yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay, guys. Well, we'll see you, Drew. We'll see all of you. Thank you so much. Yeah. This has been a really great conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone else as well. Okay.